Trovax's Tale, Kids Johnson. This is Crovax's tale, though he is not the one who tells it. There is no one else who will tell it, and so it is left to me, Orem, to make sense of what has happened to him. My people believe that each life is a tale, and further, that to tell the story of a life properly would take as long as the life itself. So we do not often tell stories of this sort, and yet there are lives that should be recorded. Crovax's is one of them. His tale is not finished yet. Like all tales of this sort, the story is as much about me as about Crovax. For this I must crave the indulgence of my listener. Mine is an unimportant story. Listen and think only of Crovax and his guardian angel. We came to Wrath willingly, but reluctantly. Each of us for our own reason. Rescue, loyalty, Anger. I came because Weatherlight was my ship. So say Captain did, then Gerard. Hannah understood the alien clockworks of the ship itself better than any of us. But a ship's heart is its people. And I was the one who kept them well and listened to their secret hurts when they felt inclined to speak of them. Krovax came for the angel Selenia, walking already under a shadow I could not see. He held his secrets closer than a lover, but even he spoke sometimes to me or to Gerard. Selenia was a construct, a thing of raw mana and spells, created from an artifact to watch over his family. The brother had used some sort of artifact to craft her. When we found Krovax, the angel was long gone, perhaps captured by Volrath. In her absence, his family had been destroyed by Volrath's people. Perhaps revenge drove him to wrath, but strangely he never spoke of this, only of Selenia, his guardian angel, trapped by Volrath for unknown reasons. Wrath was a horrifying place. I'm used to the many forms life takes in our world, but wrath was horrible. A place where rock flowed like tortured boneless flesh or heaved like a beached cuttlefish dragging itself back to water. The sky was no infinite space of air and light over our heads. It was low and heavy, sullen blues and purples that heaved less like clouds than like restless magma. Having gotten to Wrath, we were unsure exactly where to go next, so Weatherlight drifted high over a strange, choppy sea of purple-black waters, along a coastline shrouded in misshapen trees. I went below to my cabin. I had one small porthole in my possessions, my journals and medical books. Wrath would not seem so overwhelming there. To distract myself, I read an old herbalist's manual I had acquired in Jamura, trying not to think about the gray-purple tone of the light that seeped in from the porthole. In the corner of my eye, I caught a flicker of brown and white and black, of feathers and steel. I glanced up, but it was already gone. Odd, I thought. I had seen no birds or flying things in the hostile skies of wrath, and whatever it was I had seen did not linger in my memory as something easily dropped into a familiar category. Bird or bat or drake or great insect. I frowned, trying to reconstruct what I had glimpsed. The sudden cries on deck startled me. It was a tone of panic unusual for any regular maneuver. I hadn't even registered what was wrong when I heard a thundering like cannons in a fight on the sea. It was a flash of indigo-white light past my porthole in the hull, the screaming noise of an electrical bolt tearing the air. Both were gone before I had time to realize what they were and jumped back. I dropped my manual and looked out from the porthole. A ship 
flying ship like our own swept at us from above and behind like a drake driving an eagle to ground. But it did no such thing, just matched its pace to ours and settled overhead, so that I had to crane to see it through the portal. Then it was no more than a huge dark shape overhead, hiding the brooding sky from my view. Weatherlight's movements stopped suddenly, as if it had been snagged in a web. I fell to my hands and knees, then jumped up, grabbed my knife, and slammed open my cabin door to pause for a moment in the passageway. One crew member, Saba, hair still wet from washing and twisted into a dripping knot, ran toward the aft hatch, strapping her sword belt as she came. What's happening? I asked. But she said nothing as she passed, only threw me the savage expectant smile of battle fever. I turned to go to the infirmary. One cabin door was ajar, waving open and closed with the rocking of weatherlight. It's Krovax's room. From inside, I heard a keening sound, like the cry of a tortured animal. With one foot, I shoved the door open, knife ready. Krovax was there, and the terrible hurt noise was coming from him. He clutched his head as if he'd been stabbed there, and staggered across his room, slamming into furniture and walls as if he had not seen them. The only light in his cabin came from his porthole, the same bruised color that made me shiver. Krovax! I cried and caught his hands. You're wounded! With the shriek of a madman, he pulled free and hurled himself away into another wall. Krovax! I said more gently, fearing concussions, head injuries, damaged eyes. What pain could cause such a sound as this keening? I carefully touched his shoulder. It's me, Orem. Let me see. He seemed to calm then, let me pull his hands away from his head. The keening quieted to barely audible moaning, carried on each of his panting breaths. Only then did I see his face. He was not injured, at least not by splinter or blade or by any physical thing but his expression was one of torment, betrayal, loss, and horror. And, strangely, something else. Love. It is the nature of a healer to view pain, even the pain that destroys souls, the pain of loss. But I have never seen such despair. But this is, this is not true. I have seen it once since. There will come a time for that in this telling as well. What is it? I whispered. His voice was as raw as an infected bite. I saw her. Selenia. The angel. She's here? More screams above board. I had to go, but I could not leave Krovax like this. She led them here. She... His voice broke on a sob. What? I said. There were noises in the hatchways now, but he continued as if he hadn't heard. This Volrath's attack. This Volrath's creature now. His voice trailed into silence, but his lips formed another word. Betrayed. He spoke as if watching his life's blood drip to the deck, but there was no wound, and others above decks were wounded, perhaps dying. The cabin door had swung shut, but I heard bare feet pattering along the passageway now. There were too many feet and too small to be crew. His sword in its sheath hung over his cot. I snatched it down, unsheathed it, and forced the dark hiked blade into his hand. Save your life, Krovax. Fight for us. We will talk later. I pushed open the cabin door. Everything in wrath seemed an oversized, twisted version of something in Dominaria. The corridor seemed filled with goblins, but they were what Stark called mogs. Oversized goblins, ugly even by the low standards one brings to judging goblin appearance. They raced past us, ignoring us. I led Krovax to the forward hatch. Up! I shouted at him. Fight! 
Obedient as a child in shock, he climbed and I followed him. I hoped the fighting would bring him back to himself. I am no warrior. Others can tell the tale of battle between the weatherlight and predator better than I. My first and only impression was of total chaos. Predator hung over us, linked by scores of grappling hooks and lines. Mogs swarmed down the lines and across the deck. Several weatherlight crew members were down. I cast a hasty ward over those crew members closest to me and braced myself against the railing near Krovax. Though he held his sword at the ready, his dark face was blank as if surprised by a stab wound. My people were falling, slashed on knee or belly or chest by too many mog blades. I tied tourniquets and held pressure bandages and threw spell after spell at those I could not reach to help. Even so, I lost Vidats and Ineka Termulin and my countrymen, Ozel, son of Sook, their lives slipping through my fingers, sand in a hot wind of wrath. And still the mogs came. I wept with anger as they killed and killed again. I had to use my knife three times against mogs who attacked me. I hated the feeling, the slide of steel into flesh, the slight resistance of tendon or the sudden halt against bone and the sickening feel and sound when I pulled the blade free. I hated it, but I did it. I did not stop these creatures. I would not be there to hold my wards or heal my people's wounds. Predator fired on us again. My ward had been set and it glowed in my mind's eye, but it was not enough. My hands trying to stop the bleeding from burial severed arm, I closed my eyes and prayed. There was a huge noise of Weatherlight's metal hull torn by the electrical attack. The ship shuddered and slewed to one side until it hung nearly sideways. Crew members slid along the vertical deck, catching whatever they could. I had lost my grip on burial and felt myself falling. There was not even time to scream before I felt a warm arm tight around my waist. I opened my eyes with one hand. Krovax had caught me in the crook of his sword arm. The other clung to the railing. For an instant, our faces were inches apart. His eyes no longer had their drowned look. Weatherlight righted herself, and he released me. Careful, healer, he said in his low voice. They need you. I started shaking. There was a shout from Predator, and the Mogs returned to their ship, pouring from the hatches and swarming back up the ropes, loaded down with artifacts. One paused to swing his raided blade at me, but Krovak's sword skewered the Mog, and he vanished from my sight. The lines that had connected the two ships cast free, but Tongarth hung from one, swinging wildly. Even as I did what I could, I could not stop shaking. Krovax no longer looked numb, but his expression was more frightening, more horrible than it had been. Now his eyes were the eyes of a damned man. I need you, he had said, as if he were saying, but I will not. We crashed in the sky shroud, a forest of tall, twisted trees and roots sunk deep into the ugly waters of the sea. The survivors came then, as they always do, those who could not walk carried by their friends who left them in my infirmary, and rushed back to their posts to do what they could to secure the ship and prepare for any attack that might come. There were not enough. Some of the injured had fallen from Weatherlight when she had tipped to the side, but I cleaned and stitched shut ragged cuts and listened. The survivors struggled to make sense of what had been at the time, no more or less than instinct on courage and fear. It was horror and the potent joy that comes from being alive when so many others are not. As I always do, I said the things that would help and comfort. Time enough later to face the darker feelings, the shame and guilt that comes from survival. When I had done what I could, I walked on deck for a moment, longing to 
stretch my muscles and ease my eyes, longing for fresh air. I'd forgotten the heavy sky, so close overhead it seemed I could touch it. Krovax stood by the rail, staring out at the trees that surrounded us. I think he had not moved since saving my life. I saw his profile only. The planes of his face caught the colors of wrath. One hand held his ribs absently, like a man suffering from heartburn, but blood dripped between his long fingers. Krovax, I said. You're wounded. He glanced down as if surprised. I pulled his hand from his side and showed it to him, palm up. He frowned when he saw his blood. When did this happen? I asked. It had been some hours now. He shrugged. Come to the infirmary. I will heal this. No, he said. Then I will look at it here, I said. He stared out at Wrath, but did not try to stop me as I eased off his leather and scale mail and the black and red silk tunic beneath. Ragged gash, as long as my thumb angled along his torso, fresh as it was, its edges were already puffy. What did this? I asked. Mog. Then it's infected. Goblin blades are always filthy. Just can't imagine the mogs are cleaner. I always carry a flat jar of sob tucked into my belt. I pulled it out and scooped up some of the green ointment. It smelled fresh and sweet and sharp of canandula, biteweed, bright meadows a long way from wrath. Perhaps the crisp scent of more familiar lands awakened Krovax from his trance. He began to speak as I smoothed the salve into his cut. Selenia, he swallowed. I loved her. Never wanted to be away from her. How could I not love her? he said, and his eyes blazed at me, anger and anguish in equal measure. She was my angel, mine. I should have given her to my brother to guard the family, but I kept her with me, my guardian angel. <laughs> he laughed once, a single sharp noise like a crow when a hurled stone connects. She watched well. No harm came to the family in the time she watched over us. But then she was gone, and I watched my family die because she wasn't there. They blamed me for it. I sat silently, the fire in his eyes dulled. I loved her. We talked. We were friends. She had no memory, so I gave her mine. And then this. The only sound was the air hushing past Weatherlight's hull, sound so familiar to us that it was silence. I pulled a clean bandage from one of my pockets to tie over the wound. I had hoped. Did not want a guardian, he said finally. Not her. She was lost to me. Stolen. She's here! He caught my hand as it finished tying, caught it between his blood-stained fingers hard enough to hurt. I said nothing, only met his dark eyes as he looked down at me. Can you understand? It was like light, like half my soul. Guardian and companion and friend. A true love, and she is here! Yes! I pulled my hand free. And I did understand. Though perhaps he did not yet. We traveled across Wrath, on our way to Volrath's stronghold. We had lost Tungarth, dragged behind Predator, and we did not know if he lived or died. I had not seen it, but Gerard had fallen from Weatherlight during the battle with Predator. Hannah and Miri retrieved him in the Sky Shroud Forest, the interminable dark woods in which we crashed. We fought, then forged an alliance with the elves that lived there. The ship was damaged by the crash. We could still fly but Hannah said the crystal that drove the ship would not be able to plane shift away from Wrath. We took Weatherlight to a portal we had been told about, the only place that might permit us to escape. Ertai and I inspected the site, and he chose to remain there to open it for us. 
We sailed on through the cinder marsh, followed a plume of ash to the furnaces of wrath. We were struck by an arc of lightning there. I fought to save the crew members injured by the explosion, but I lost them all. The furnaces fought my healing spells, and when I tried to save Kadvi, too injured to be removed from where she lay, creatures of shredding sinew and bone killed her and cornered us. Krovax carried a strange rage inside of him. When he fought, which was often, for wrath is a hard place, he fought as if for his soul. I said nothing of the angel, but there were occasions, weary moments of waiting between disasters when he came to sit with me in the infirmary on deck. In difficult times, I find it soothing to take bright-colored silks and spin them into threads as fine as spiderweb. Perhaps he found watching it as calming, for he seemed to seek me out just to watch the whirling of my heavy silver drop spindle. He never looked at me, but he would speak, confessing his secrets to the silver and silk as they spun. Sometimes he spoke of his estate, hidden in the shadowy swamps of Urborg, a proud but decaying place, haunted now by the spirits of his many ancestors, who he said, even in wrath, whispered to him sometimes in the night, warning him of an undefined but horrible destiny. He also spoke of his father and his brothers. There's a poetry style in my land where only half the poem is written down and the reader must speak aloud the missing lines as she believes they should be. There's great skill to reading this poetry, just as there is in writing it. I listened to his words and spoke in my mind the lines he withheld from me. His father was distant and cruel. As his family died, one by one they blamed him for their destruction. There were other secrets in his family, and I could imagine some of them. There were times he talked of the angel. He remembered her laugh, low and sweet as a bell, and her perfect face, wrinkled as she learned a game he tried to teach her. His face softened when he spoke of her. Perhaps he longed too much for her, or in the wrong way. Angels are made of magic and destiny, not flesh and blood. He never asked about my life, my family or past, too trapped in the misery of his memories to think of another. I did not mind, my old master would say, that a healer's strength is not in her mouth but in her ears. So I spun, and I listened, and gathered his tale to me like the cold comfort of a thin blanket in a frozen time. The furnaces were a maze of stalactites and stalagmites that clung to the low stone ceiling and the rough stone floor. Weatherlight slid between great pillars as broad as we were long and fought whatever came to us. After a time, the ceilings began to lift and the rock shapes grew less common. The sky of wrath had seemed heavy, but... Now he knew what true weight was. Whatever I did, even in battle, when lives hung perilously on my actions, I could not escape the unimaginable weight of the stone hanging overhead. At times it seemed to squeeze the air from my lungs. We all felt this, all but Krovax, whose life force focused down to a single blinding point, his angel. Even a league and more away we could see Bolrath's stronghold. The roof over our heads raised still more and showed us that we were in the heart of a great hollow mountain. Pale cold light sifted down from above to silhouette the vast mass of the stronghold. The crew clustered on deck, swords and cutlasses ready for whatever trouble might come. We drifted forward, but no enemy ship rose to greet us. No one seemed to see us at all. We ghosted closer and closer. The stronghold loomed, a shape like claws and bones and teeth, like the standing tendons of someone pulled on the rack. Gerard's face was pale, but set, 
Others faced their fear in whatever way they could. But Crovax stood by the deck railing, his lips pulled back to expose his teeth. It might have been a smile. The organic shapes began to make a little more sense. I recognized what might be walkways and a bridge of spun stone that I looked as fragile as a spider web, closer, closer. Hanging in the outrigging, Miri saw the guard before any of us. We were bare yards from the stronghold side, looking for something we might tie to, a ledge or gangplank of some sort. Without warning, Miri leapt across the space between Weatherlight and the stronghold, sword pulled out, teeth bared, and nearly a silent snarl. She landed on a narrow walkway, an arm's length from a startled guard. Guard died before he had time to cry out. This was as good a place to land as any we'd seen. Hannah secured Weatherlight's engines as Tice threw a rope across to Miri. She tied off the ship, then leapt back. She showed her sharp-toothed smile to Gerard. Best thing to hear from a guard? Nothing. Gerard sighted along his sword blade, then slid it back into his sheath. Now we go in. Stark, you're the only one who can lead us to Sisse. The man flushed. And my daughter? You won't forget my daughter. We won't forget her. Gerard said gravely, showing considerable restraint, I thought. Gerard did not like Stark much, I knew. Mary? She snorted, slapped her sheath. Of course. Crovax had not spoken to Gerard lately. He had spoken to no one but me, really. But now he caught Gerard's arm. Take me, he said softly. Gerard nodded. Four is good? I stepped forward. I also will go, Gerard. He laughed that sardonic laugh of his. Bloodthirsty Orum! I bit my lip. What if someone is injured, Sisse, or you, or... No. Four's bad enough. Sorry, Orm, but you're no tracker. You'd, you'd get to a thousand paces before you'd hear some goblin screaming and run off to find out why. I flushed. Yes, but you have an infirmary full of people. Only three, I began. No, he said, suddenly captain. Orm, you remain here with the ship. I understand, I said, and stayed. I suppose it made sense. There were only four braving the stronghold and over a score on the ship, but it was Gerard and Miri and Krovax leaving, and Stark was not happy with the decision. They entered Volrath's stronghold cautiously. Stark said he had been there before and had warned them of certain predictable risks. He knew of Mog platoons pacing the stronghold's corridors, and certain magical traps he knew of. Stark went first, beside Gerard, with Mirin Krovax close behind. The halls were irregularly shaped, as if they had grown from Wrath's Rock, and the torches that lit the corridors flickered in strange warm air currents, so that walls and ceilings seemed to alter in the inconstant light. Sounds trickled down the halls, echoing until they were unrecognizable, even as voice or scream or clockwork. They entered a large corridor broad enough to walk four abreast with a roof that soared into shadow far overhead. It seemed directed toward the stronghold's core, and so they walked along it, checking each branching hallway, for the heart of an empire, the place seemed empty, despite the noises. Miri stopped suddenly. Wait! What? Stark said nervously, but she only gestured impatiently, ears swiveling, nose twitching. She pointed at an odd outcropping on the wall, pulling her sword. There's a thing there. The section of wall she had pointed out jumped forward. It was no wall but a living creature. Its 
misshapen body might once have been that of a mog or an elf, but its limbs seemed poorly attached and unmatched, like a child's bad drawing. It crouched on the ground, narrow, unformed head lashing from side to side as it looked for an escape. Miri darted past it, trapping it. When it tried to rush past, she slashed at it. I don't think so. It bared its ragged teeth and recoiled. Gerard stepped closer, sword in his hand. So what are you, animal, vegetable, or mineral? He said in a conversational tone. The creature looked around again, then up, for the first time seeing the soaring ceiling. Like paint in rain or clay under invisible hands, its body began shifting to become a woman's slender torso clad in the shadow of armor and silk. Limbs resolved themselves into arms with long, fingered hands and legs ending in slim, booted feet. Flesh shifted, the face formed that of a helmeted woman with cold, pure features, eyebrows shaped like the twisting of a falcon's wing. And then came the wings themselves, pulling from the creature's shoulders perfect feathers made of layered flesh beginning to fill out shapes like the wings of birds or angels. Selenia! Krovax gasped. No, Gerard said. Some sort of shape changer. Perhaps we could... Gerard never finished. The howl of rage, Krovax hurled himself at the creature. She whirled half-formed wings flaring. The sword came down where she had been, but half-fledged. She left an incredible jump that took her over Miri's shoulder and into the corridor beyond. Krovax knocked Miri out of the way and bolted after the shape changer, bare sword in hand. Miri, Gerard, and Stark ran down the halls after them, but Krovax and the shape changer easily outpaced them. Krovax caught up to her in a huge room filled with seats like an amphitheater around a mysterious device. There were several doors out of the room, and this is what killed her. She paused to choose, and in that moment, Krovax threw himself at her. He caught her by one slender arm. She screamed wordlessly at him and bared her teeth, clawing at his face. Teeth and nails began to lengthen, shaping themselves into a fiercer function. He slammed his fist into her changing face, and again, she clawed at him, but he caught her hand in his, twisted her arm until he heard a cracking noise. He grabbed one strange flesh feather wing in his hand, bracing his other hand against her shoulder. She screamed again. He bared his teeth as he ripped the wing from her body, black-red blood pumping into his face. Gerard and Miri ran to find him, tearing the shapeshifter's limbs free. She still bore the angel's form, but she was melting as she died. Krovax cursed as she died, slamming his fist into the remains of her face. My family died! Where were you when Volras people came to the estate, killed them one by one? Here! There was no answer. Gerard and Miri looked at one another in horror. It was Gerard who at last approached Krovax where he knelt in the ruins of the shapeshifter. There's not much more than rags of flesh, smears of blood. The fist he kept pounding into her was hitting the floor now, splitting his knuckles so that his own red blood splashed over the thick, darker blood of the creature. Krovax, Gerard said. Then, when Krovax did not stop, more loudly... Gerard laid a hand on Krovek's shoulder. He whirled, eyes drowned in madness, and raised his gore-smeared fist. Gerard dropped back a step. Krovax, come back to us! The madness ebbed. Krovax blinked and shook his head, raised a hand as if to rub his face, and stopped when he saw the mess. He stood quickly, looked down at what he had done. It looked like Selenia.
he said. Swallowing heavily, Gerard shook his head. It was a shape changer. It saw her and took her form, that's all. The voices dropped into the immense space without an echo, like a coin dropped into a bottomless well. Should not have taken her form. Krovax's hands were shaking now. He pressed them against his thighs, leaving glossy prints on his leggings. What happened, Krovax? Gerard gestured at the shapeshifter's remains. He could have just grabbed it. Krovax's voice caught as he tried to respond. He cleared his throat and tried again. I had to kill it. it belongs to Volrath. It would have betrayed us. You didn't have to kill it like this. I saw her, Krovax said finally. Selenia. When Predator attacked us, she was there. Gerard frowned. I know. That doesn't explain this. He looked at Miri, who shrugged and shook her head. She was there. I think she led them to us. Why? Gerard said. I thought she was your guardian angel. I thought so too, Krovax sobbed. I thought she did not save my family because she was imprisoned in some way. But now... Still, Gerard said, the shape changer was not your angel. Krovax said nothing. Mirian Stark watched, silent. Gerard watched him for a long moment. I don't think you're a good risk for this. You ran off without thinking about safety, and then, he gestured to the wreckage on the room's floor. We're still close to the weatherlight, Krovax. I want you to return there. No, Krovax frowned. No, I can't. She's here, Gerard. I have to find her. Why? So you can rip her to pieces, pull her wings off? Gerard took an impatient pace away and turned. No, we can't risk it. Through clenched teeth, Krovac said, No, the shapeshifter had no right to her form. That's all. You need me. Selenia was created to watch over my family. She's vulnerable only to the members of my family. You want to have her kill Murray here? Maybe yourself? Mary opened her mouth to speak. Krovax continued. I'm the only one who can stop her, and I must. Gerard stroked his beard. Please, let me find her, Krovax said, in a voice as raw as a wound. The legacy is your destiny, Gerard, but Selenia is mine. Do not deny me this. Gerard tipped his head back and sighed deeply. Very well. Control yourself, Krovax. The deeper into the stronghold we get, the longer your walk back to the ship will be. I was not there. I was at the ship, patient Orem, waiting and spinning and clearing the last crew members for my infirmary. But I know Krovax and Gerard. These are the words they would have said, the gestures they would have made. No one knows Krovax better. He spoke to me when he spoke to no other, and I, trained to see illnesses of the soul as well as of the body, heard the things his words did not say. The room they were in was vast, big enough to float weatherlight in. The walls were green glass, clinging like soap film between brassy supports, but even large as it was, it was dominated by the mechanism in its center. Strange mechanical jaws extended from ceiling and floor. Suspended between them was a huge sphere, like a giant pearl in a deformed setting. Gerard was the only one who recognized it as a map of sorts, a spherical map of all of Dominaria, home. Miri and Gerard puzzled it out between them. 
Bolrath was planning to invade us, and this was his guide. Stark contributed little, obsessed perhaps with rescuing his daughter, and Krovax said less, only wiped his hands on his leggings again and again as if trying to remove the stains from them. The four of them traveled through the mountain's heart. Many things happened, but though he was there, they are not truly part of Krovax's story. They crawled through narrow passages, crept across arching bridges. They found Karn. His gentle nature had been ravaged by Volrath, who forced him to kill. They found Tongarth, his form changed by Volrath's tortures. They found Sisse trapped in a crystal cylinder, but when they freed her, she was just another shape-changer. Krovax did not fall into the killing frenzy again, but he was silent, grim-faced. I think he spent much of the time thinking about the angel. They still searched for Sisse and the legacy and Stark's daughter. Stark thought perhaps they were in Volrath's dream halls, and so he led them yet to another stone bridge. Created of ragged stone that looked as though it had splashed and frozen in place, the bridge was a slender arch without a railing. The crew members moved cautiously onto it, forced by its width into single file. Stark knew where they were going, so he was first, followed by Krovax, then Miri, then Karn and Tongarth, silent and shaken from their tortures, and Gerard at the rear. Only Krovax and Miri had swords out. If Volrath's people saw them and chose to kill them, it would be a simple matter to destroy them from a distance, with arrows and crossbow bolts. What good would a sword do? And the path was narrow, except for Miri, who had the perfect balance of her kind, and Krovax, who, driven by his destiny to fall, everyone used both arms to balance themselves against the strange hot air currents that blasted them. They were halfway across when the attack came, but it was not arrows. Buffeted by a sudden wind, Stark lost his balance and fell to one knee. The rest of the party paused for a moment, let him catch his breath. They watched both ends of the bridge looking for signs they had been detected. The scream overheard took them all by surprise. It might have been a woman's voice raised in wordless pain, or it might have been a falcon's killing cry. It was neither and both. It was Selenia, the guardian angel. She attacked from above, diving like a great hawk. Dark wings spread wide. She held her sword in both hands over her head like a giant dagger ready to plunge down. Her pale face was beautiful in the way a well-made knife is beautiful and colder than steel. She aimed directly for Krovax. And Krovax, armed though he was, stood stunned and watched her drop toward him like a rabbit from the raptor's claws. Miri snarled and jumped forward. From the end of the line, Gerard shouted, No! Miri was already in motion, sword arcing up to intersect the angel's downward sweep. Unable to get through the defense, the angel changed targets. Her blade ran with the reflected colors of Wrath's skies as it sliced sideways. Miri screamed as the blade connected. The cat warrior dropped her sword and fell to the bridge, hands pressed against the deep wound across the abdomen from hip bone to hip bone. The angel fluttered back from the bridge, and ducked in again to kill Miri. A Krovax's sword stopped her this time. Steel against steel, angel in air, and man braced on stone. They hung. Please don't do this! Krovax cried in a voice barely human. I must. Her voice was like a broken bell. Tears glittered in her eyes with shrieking of steel. The sword slid apart. The angel's blade struck the stone of the bridge. Sparks showered down. How can you do this? Krovax shrieked as he swung overhead at her. The angel danced backward on the air just out of reach before whirling forward again. 
The swords met over Cromax's head. Crossed steel, tears blinded him. You are my angel! Mine! I wish you had not come to Raz, she said. The ice in her face seemed to melt, and she sobbed. Why didn't you stay safe on Dominaria? Safe at home! Safe? Crovax swung again. You left us, and my family were killed! I'm the last of my line! Where is the safety there? He swung blindly to keep her out of range until he dashed the tears from his eyes and could see again. The waste of a great victim, Fearless. She cried. I don't want to hurt you. And now, you betray me! Ah! The final word ripped into an inarticulate roar, and he jumped forward at her, inches from plunging off the bridge's side. I had no choice. Her sword flicked out and caught him. With a cry, he stumbled back, blood blooming from a cut along his cheek. I am what I was made, she said. Why did you not stay away? Because I loved you, he answered through clenched teeth. Then you were twice full, she said bitterly and swung again. Once for coming to wrath, and once for loving an angel. Don't do this! Krovax blocked and thrust. If you feel anything for me, stop! Don't! She cried. Cannot stop your destiny, or mine! She attacked as if to silence him, flickering steel ringing between them. He fell back to one knee. Stark was gone, of course. He had bolted for the bridge's end as soon as the attack had begun. Karn watched, paralyzed, still dazed from Volrath's tortures. Behind Karn, Tongarth cursed and pounded on his back. There was no way past the golem. No way but the one Gerard found. He dropped to his belly and snaked between Tongarth's and Karn's legs to get to Miri. Her abdomen was slashed open. He saw gleaming tissues inside. The second before, he pressed both hands against the wound, trying to stop the bleeding. The fight continued between Krovax and his angel. In silence now. They each wept as they fought, and the tears on Krovax's face mingled with his blood. Selenia's tears slipped ignored from her face and shone as they dropped into the depths. Miri's blood still leaked onto the bridge and ran along its irregular surface. Krovax stepped back and slipped, barely catching himself. As he fought for balance, the angel's blade flicked in again and sliced open his arm. Krovax was losing. It's impossible to fight an angel. She made her sword dance as easily as before, though his blocks grew slower and slower still. You should not have come, she said. I would do anything to save you, but I cannot. She raised her sword one last time and froze as if listening to an unexpected voice calling her name. Half-blinded and exhausted, Krovax gathered himself and thrust wildly. And it connected, piercing her heart, or where it should have been, had she been a woman and not Angel. She did not die, or not exactly. She arched up into the air above Krovax, wings a great shadow over him. She looked down for a moment with great black eyes and whispered, I'm sorry. Our destinies are completed. We are both doomed. Then her stabbed body shattered into countless glittering shards. Krovax was lost in a blizzard of flakes and feather and blood that shifted to white and black crystals and then back. The shards that had been Selenia burst out into a huge sphere, but whirled like a cyclone back together, a funnel of light and dark, of light and shadow, 
forming and reforming the shape of wings as they fell onto Crovax. Her great sword clattered onto the bridge besides Crovax. He cried out, and the shards swept into his mouth, then gathered around him, thrusting themselves into eyes, ears, and mouth. He screamed hoarsely and clawed at his face. He shuddered as if struck while the crystals forced themselves into his body. And then they were gone. After the screaming in the whirlwind, the space seemed filled with ringing silence. The only sound was Miri's panting as Gerard pressed against the gash in her belly. Crovax stood unsteadily. Crovax, you're right, Gerard said. Crovax said nothing, took a step toward the bridge's edge. Crovax, you had to kill her, Gerard said. Khan, Tongarth, I can't let go of Miri. Karn still did not move. With a grunt, Tongarth vaulted over him and leapt across Miri and Gerard. He caught Krovax just as he stepped off the bridge. Let me go! Krovax croaked. No! Tongarth said. I can live through this. You can too! Their eyes met for a long moment, and then Krovax collapsed to the bloody stone of the bridge. He cuddled the angel's sword to himself and wept. Tongarth brought Miri and Krovax back to me, one over each shoulder as if they were sacks of grain. I heard his voice and ran up the gangway. Tongarth, hideously misshapen, was lowering Miri into the arms of David and Zeneda. At the change in position, Miri murmured incoherently and struck out at David, who caught her clawed hand easily as he took her weight onto his shoulders. Blood dripped onto the deck from a stained bandage around her belly. Into the infirmary! I shouted. I touched her face as David carried her past. She was hot to the touch. Tongarth lowered the other body. It was Crovax. What happened? I said. Crovax was conscious, but his skin was as pale as the dead. He breathed the fast, shallow breaths of an animal. Crovax said nothing. Tongarth said only, He's ill. Do what you can. Crovax, talk to me. I tipped his head up to check his pupils for signs of concussion. He pulled away. I bit my lip, trying not to cry. Krovax, come downstairs. He followed me. I do not know why. Miri lies on her cot, swathed in bandages. She had the beginnings of fever, which I brought down with herbs from home and a spell taught me by my old master. Now she sleeps with the near-silent breathing of her people. Krovax sits in the infirmary, face in his hands. He has no major injuries from his fight with his angels, and yet there is blood on his lip, and his glossy dark skin is pale and lightless. I remember his face when I tipped it into the light up on deck. He snapped away, but not before I saw that his eyes had changed color, from brown to a sick yellow-white without pupil or iris, and not before I saw that his teeth had grown pointed and pierced his lip. Something happened when the angel died. She entered him some fashion. A guardian angel is meant to be good, but with her death she is changing him into something different. I do not think it is good. Miri is the injured one, and yet for some reason I feel Crovax is the one I am losing, to a disease I cannot name unless I call it damnation. I would do anything to heal him, but I am powerless. A healer grows used to losses, even horrific and incomprehensible losses, such as this one. Even a healer feels despair when it is one she loves. Trovax loved the one he thought of as his guardian angel. 
He did not realize that in the end, it was not Selenia who watched over him and longed for his happiness and fought for his life. And I failed. Here ends the tale of Krovax.